Matthew 6. We'll, we'll be there in a moment. And Erwin's going to bring over the giant whiteboard. I'm going to share with you that two people came up to me last Sunday and said, we can't see what you're putting on that board. And I, I, I thank them for, I always appreciate that when um, people communicate to me what I may not see, although I had, a, I had an idea because those pens weren't working well. So, um, someone gave me, I'll, I'll ask them later if I can point out who, because I think it's wonderful, the thickest pen you can buy. Are you ready? Oops, I better do it right. Can you see that? Okay, if you can't see that, you have to move closer. That's, as, that's the best we can do. Um, so we are in the series, My Life, My Rules. I'm going to move this out of the way so I can forget. I want to show you a quick video. And uh, how do you do that? There we go. You got it, Erwin? Um, we'll show you a quick video to get us started. Because we haven't seen this one in a while, and it's actually extended. So enjoy some Twisted Sister. Twisted sister ruled the world. That's what life would be like, huh? Um, my life, my rules. Why? Because we like our life and our rules. But God, in His love for us, has given us His life and His rules. And when we talk about God's rules, and we are referring to His commands and His teachings, all of His commands and all of His teachings, we have to remember. It's very important that we remember. And we have to insert into our minds that God's rules are loving and life-giving. In fact, I would encourage you in my mind, I'm trying to say that every time I refer to God's laws or His commandments to say they are loving and life-giving. Because we instantly think that rules are restrictive, right? Rules restrict us from doing what we want to do. But God's rules are always loving and life-giving. If you have your, your notes this morning, I'm going to give you the, the first blank as I explain to you where we are um, where we're going, but it's this. God has given us this wonderful gift. The freedom of our wills. The freedom of your will. You don't think of God usually as a, someone who takes risks, but He took a big risk when He gave us this wonderful gift, the freedom of our will. It was the freedom to choose whether we would obey Him or not. It was the freedom to choose our rules or God's rules. And, and, and really, He had to do it because He is love. And love demands freedom. There can be no 
true love unless you allow those whom you love to be free to choose. So in the Garden of Eden, God gave Adam and Eve life-giving rules, right? Do not eat. But He also gave them out of love a choice that they could, if they chose to, reject His life-giving rule and follow their own rules. They could choose to be ruled by their own will. The risk was this. Would we become creatures submitted to God's rules or would we become creatures that, submitted, that are submitted to our wants? And you know, if you've read Genesis, how the story turned out. I want to show you that the struggle that, that we have. What do I do with my cool pen now? I have already been... Oh, there it is. Okay. So, uh, here we have our will. And here is our struggle. Will we submit our will to God's rules? Are they just God's rules? When you hear God's rules, what do you put in there? His life-giving, loving, His loving, life-giving. Do it how you want. God's loving, life-giving rules? Or will we submit our will to... Are you ready? Our wants. That's the struggle. Will we be ruled by God who is love or will we be ruled by our wants, our desires, our feelings? Do you guys know this struggle? This is the human struggle. And here's the issue. God's rules are loving and life-giving. Life-increasing would be another way to say that. Our wants our desires, our feelings, to be ruled by what we want is dangerous. Very dangerous. Okay, Erwin, I apologize. I have one more video to show this morning. And uh, um, we, Erwin and I have talked. We're going to work on something to make this a little bit easier to see when we do this. But I want you to, to uh, I'll show a video in just a second. Who's been to, who here has, has ever been to um, Yellowstone Park? Okay, and, and who's seen the bison, also known as buffalo, when you've been there? All right, so you know this, that when you go to Yellowstone Park, they tell you over and over and over again, stay away from the bison. Like they have signs. Look, it says, danger, do not approach wildlife. Do, do you understand that sign? All right, just making sure. And then they have these flyers. And there's words on this flyer, but really all you need is the picture. Do you, do you know what that's saying? <laughs> and, and the rule in the, in the park is this. 25 yards. Stay 25 yards away from bison at all times. The problem is, well, first you're going, why do they have to have all the signs and all the flyers and keep repeating the rule? Because we have free will. And we struggle on whether or not to be submitted and ruled by life-giving rules or do we want to be ruled by our wants and what we want to do? Because people ask the park rangers. You may have heard them. You may have asked the questions. Well, what if I want to get a selfie with the bison? The answer is don't. What if I'm 25 yards away, but the buffalo is coming towards me? He's breaking the rules. The answer is back up, right? What if I'm walking along the path and the buffalo comes to the path and, is, and I have to get close to the buffalo in order to get to where I want to go? It's not my fault. And the answer is wait, <laughs> But you'll see in this video that uh, people would rather be ruled by their dangerous wills than life-giving rules. Right He's gesturing. 
dad's face there. I'm done with the videos, Erwin. Thank you. You can't see the dad's face there, but he's actually smiling. They, there are other videos out. I wouldn't show them in church because they show people getting very injured. And there are people who are killed every year. You know, you, you, you heard the sister there, probably sister, Justin, run, Justin, run. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> but uh, I noticed that she took off really soon. It, it's funny. we like, ah, what's the big deal? It's just a bison. It's just a buffalo, right? Now, now you and I know enough to know it's an animal you should fear, revere. Uh, but because of... Uh, I don't know, we could always blame Disney for something, right? But the Disneyfication of nature? <laughs> oh, they're just nice and sweet. No. They're dangerous. They are incredible, beautiful, powerful, wonderful beasts to, to observe, to, to respect. But when the rule says 25 yards, and you decide to not follow the life-giving rule, but your will, danger is the result. The one rule worth keeping, if you're following along in your notes, is simply this. Rule your will. Rule your will. We could put it this way. Let God rule your will. Be ruled by God's rules. That's the number one rule. Remember, we say rule, our minds instantly go to negativity, so we have to throw in there, God's rules always come from His nature, and God is love. His loving, life-giving, and God's a giver of life, rules. The job of parents is to teach their children to rule their wills. Did you know that? If, if you don't teach, if you don't discipline, the word teach and discipline are the same, mean the same thing. If you don't discipline your children... When we don't discipline our children, there's a sense in which we are doing child abuse by not disciplining them because we're not teaching them to rule their wills. Uh, children are, are natural-born rulers. They think they're in charge, right? They come, the first words are usually mine, and then not long after that are no. And that's why they learn parents. That's when you, you hear them say mama and dada. Oh, that's cute. That's so that later on they can say no mama, no dada. That's the reason for that. Their wills are ruled by their wants. That's the child way. Their wills are ruled by their wants. And so er early on, we have to get them to conform first to our will. That's what parents do when, they're, when the kids are little. We get them to conform to our will. And so we come up with, with rules like uh, you have to go to bed on time. You have to get up on time. You have to eat your vegetables. And you have to flush the toilet, right? One of the big, big important rules. You will do what I say. Some of you are like, oh yeah, my kids could never flush the toilet. But when they start becoming young adults, we need to help them be ruled. Okay, to, I'm sorry, we need to help them rule their wills. Because they can't go through life <laughs> having us telling them what to do and what our will is. Eventually they have to mature and get to the place where they can rule their own will. If we send them into the world and they're not able to rule their wills, but instead they are ruled by their wants, they will fail. And this is true for human beings. If we do not 
learn to allow God to rule our wills. We don't submit to God's rules, then we will be ruled by our wants, by our desires, by our feelings, and it will not go well. Paul had this struggle. The Apostle Paul had this struggle. You can read about it in Romans 7 when he said, I don't do the things I want to do and I do the things I don't want to do. He was having a will struggle. And then in chapter 8, we find the answer, which in a nutshell is Jesus Christ. So let's turn to Matthew 6 this morning as we, we look at what we need in order to rule our wills, to allow God to rule our wills. And, and if you're uh, filling in the blanks, the first one is this. We need the will to seek the righteousness, the kingdom and, the right, and righteousness. The will to serve the kingdom and righteousness. The kingdom of God and righteousness. Uh, in Matthew 6, Jesus is talking to His followers uh, about what to, telling them what not to worry about. No need to worry about earthly things because you have a heavenly Father. And so he sums up this in verses 31 through, through 34 of Matthew 6, which I'm going to read to you. <clears throat> so do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Seek first, you know this verse, Erwin read it to us earlier, verse 33. Seek first the kingdom of God, or the kingdom and His righteousness. I, I, I want to point out something here. We'll use uh, the new improved whiteboard with the new improved Marker, thank you. I just want to point out to you some the, the, the two types of people that you find in this passage here. In this passage, Jesus is pointing out the foolishness of worrying about material things because we have a Heavenly Father. You hear that? Uh, I do not think, just, just, just as an aside, I don't think this passage is talking about general anxiety. Okay? I believe it's talking about specific anxiety, anxiety caused by worrying about our material needs, which is also common to all human beings. And he's saying the reason that's foolish is because you have a heavenly father. So there are two types of people in this passage. All right. Uh oh, the weight of this is do not fall. Uh, there are pagans. Right. Some of you have in your version, it says Gentiles. Some of you have that. All right. And on the other side, there are, well, it doesn't say who we are. It just gives a, uh, a description of who we are. We'll, we'll just say right for right now, they are Christians. All right. We're Christians. Are you, are you going further down? It's going down. All right. Tony, Tony, Tony. I don't even have to look to see who said that. All right. We'll see if that works. All right. So notice this, that pagans, they seek eagerly. They seek what they don't have. Do you see that? They're seeking after the things they don't have. So what about Christians? What are they doing? They seek... And that's the key word in this passage, by the way. They seek what God and only God gives. 
His kingdom in righteousness. Making sense? The pagans, what do they do? They worry. They have anxiety, specific anxiety, because there are certain material things they're worried about. But the Christians, we're told, don't worry. Now here is the number one dividing factor in these two things. Are you ready? Because what is a pagan? <laughs> it's, it's hard to know. And, and when Jesus was telling the story, a pagan or a Gentile was simply someone who was outside of the kingdom of God, which at that time was defined by those who were in the, the Old Covenant, who were people who were Israelites. You had to be Jewish to be in the kingdom or go through a ceremony where you became Jewish. But what does it mean today as Christians? What's the difference between pagan and Christian? What's the main difference Jesus is pointing out to us is that pagans don't have... I'm just going to say don't have a heavenly father. And Christians, we have, I'm going to put it up here. We have a heavenly H, I'll just do HF, heavenly father. And that's the difference. We don't worry because we have a heavenly father. And we look for him to give what we need. And the first thing he says we need is his kingdom and his righteousness. Do you see the difference there? Isn't that amazing? I know because I do it. I worry. And when I'm worrying, I forget I have a Heavenly Father who wants to take care of my needs. And then I have to say, Lord, I'm sorry for acting like a pagan. <laughs> I'm sorry for acting like someone who doesn't have a Father in Heaven who loves me and wants to care for me. If I'm worried about something I don't have, it's because I'm not trusting my Heavenly Father. And here is what having a Heavenly Father requires. If you have, if you believe that God is your Heavenly Father through faith in Christ, and I know almost all of us here, I hope do. I mean, I hope all of us do, but I'm thinking most of us do. The right response is to seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. The proper response, if you have a Heavenly Father, is to seek everything He wants to give you. Not everything you want. That's what pagans do. But to seek everything He wants for us. You see how that's a surrender of our will? <laughs> the pagans are ruled by their wants. That's why they worry. But Christians seek everything God wants to give to us. And Jesus sums it up, sums it up this way. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Everybody's a seeker. If you are born and if you breathe and you're a human being, you're a seeker. You seek after we always seek after those things we don't have or don't have enough of, right? So uh, if you lose your keys, that's what it means to seek. Now you, now you go. Now you, you're starting to feel a little anxiety there? <laughs> In my family, when someone loses their keys, I love to say, I know where they are. And then they get surprised and I say, they're where you left them last. Now, I don't get to say that often because I'm the one that loses their keys most in my family. If you're hungry... You seek for food, right? You go right to the fridge. In the morning, you seek for coffee. <laughs> you seek... Hey, Carlos is always there. You seek for those things you don't have. Listen closely, listen. If there's something you are not seeking, it's because either you don't want it or you have enough of it. 
If there's something you are not seeking, it's either because you don't want it or you think you have enough of it. If you are not seeking first the kingdom of God and righteousness, it's either because you don't really want God's righteousness or you think you have enough of His righteousness. The kingdom of God is simply where God's rules rule. We enter the kingdom of God through Jesus Christ and say we let His rules rule our lives. That's the kingdom of God and it's expand, expounding. Uh, it's already started here on earth. It's not in its fullness yet. One day Jesus will return and we'll be in the kingdom in all its loving, life-giving ways forever. Amen? Okay. Righteousness. Yes, righteousness does refer to God's rules. But let me just point this out too. Righteousness refers to the internalization of God's rules. Righteousness refers to the character of God, to His holiness, to His love, to His compassion. Isn't that interesting? We always think of righteousness as just, again, cold rules. But righteousness refers to the character of God, and it's the idea of we get to internalize and internalize our hearts become righteous, meaning we become like God, Holy, loving, compassionate, just, merciful. So the question Jesus would ask us here is this. Are you seeking to become righteous? Are you seeking the righteousness of God? Or do you think you have enough? Or have you gotten kind of full of it? You know how you, you can eat the same leftovers for two or three days? I can do that. And then you get, I don't want that for a while. Couldn't that happen in our relationship with God that we think, I don't really want anymore or I have enough of His righteousness? Do you still want the life Jesus called you to? Listen, Jesus never says, and, I, and, and you may find it. I looked it up. I couldn't find it on my, my Bible program. Jesus never says, be good. Isn't that interesting? He tells us to be righteousness. But He doesn't say, just be righteous. He doesn't say, make a decision for righteousness. He tells us to enter the life of seeking righteousness. Following Jesus is not a one-time decision where you say, okay, I accepted Jesus as Lord. Check that off the bucket list. Go on to other things. Jesus tells us here that seeking righteousness, seeking God, following Him is a lifetime of growing, a lifetime of seeking after, a lifetime of going after God's righteousness. He calls us to a way of life that is defined by continually seeking God's righteousness. Continually seeking to become like Him. Are you seeking God first in every area of your life? In the attitudes of your heart? Does God rule in all of your relationships? And young people, you know how it says in the Bible to be... Make, be careful and choose someone who's a follower of Christ before you begin to, to date them? Are you allowing God's rule to rule in your life? Are you seeking God first in every area of your life, in your opinions when it comes to politics, in your finances, in what you watch on TV or the computer, in your education? Do you want His holiness, His compassion, and His love? That's what Jesus is telling us to be after. And I know this morning, I'm believing that you are saying yes. So the next question is, but how? If it's not just a decision, yeah, God's cool. I'm going to accept Him. I'm going to believe or I agree that God's cool. 
if it's I'm entering into a lifestyle of following, then the question becomes, how do I do this? What's the plan for righteousness? And it's point number two. Actually, it will come from the Bible. But it's this. We need the will to train in the discipline of seeking righteousness. The will to train in the discipline of seeking righteousness. In 1 Timothy 4, Paul says to Timothy, uh, Paul's, the Apostle Paul, he says to this young man he's discipling, who's uh, Timothy, he says, train yourself to be godly. Now, the idea of training there is a physical thing. All right? So, uh, it's, it's, it's physical training. And Paul says, spiritual training, training in righteousness, is really no different. It requires effort. It requires practice. It requires uh, the work of discipline and continually doing things of discipline. Anybody can decide to do something beneficial, right? You can say, you know, I'm going to start eating veggies. I've made that decision. Oh, let's, let's say, let's not call it a decision. Let's call it a resolution. Those are coming up, huh? <laughs> I'm going to eat better. I'm going to eat less carbs. I'm going to, I'm going to read a book on history, not a, a fictional book, a real book on history. I'm going to learn a language or at least learn how to say some, some you know, conversational words in a new language. We all come up with ideas to improve ourselves and we make these decisions. But that's only one part of it. It's in how are you going to follow through? How are you going to put it into practice? What steps are you going to take to learn that language? What steps are you going to take to, to get in shape? What steps are you going to take to, to eat less carbs? What steps are you going to take to, to read that book? That's the hard part, huh? <laughs> Resolutions are easy. Living them out is the hard part. What's our plan? What's the plan for seeking righteousness? Do you know your plan? What's your plan for seeking righteousness? I want you um, to turn... Well, you don't have to turn there, but I'm going to turn to and, and share with you a story from the Old Testament. It's one of my, my favorite stories simply because it's, it's a little bit shocking. Um, you probably heard the story too. It's found in the Old Testament book of 2 Kings, chapters 22 and 23. I wrote those... In your, in your notes this morning so that if you want to go home and read the full story, you can. I believe it's also in First Chronicles. I think it's First Chronicles 34, but I may be uh, wrong in that. But at least it's in Second Kings 22 and 23. It's the story of a king named Josiah. All right. Now, and some of you have heard this story before. Um, Josiah had a dad. I'm sorry, Josiah's grandfather was named Manasseh. Now, if you know a little bit about the kings in the Old Testament, the worst, the absolute worst, uh, was uh, for the king of Judah, anyways, was Manasseh. He was he ruled for fifty five years, and he, the Bible says, did evil in God's sight. In other words, Manasseh did not seek righteousness; he was ruled by his wants. <laughs> and so Manasseh, after fifty five years, uh, passes away, and then Manasseh's son, this would be Josiah's dad, his name was Amon comes to the throne. And people hated Manasseh so much that they murdered Amon after two years. He only ruled for two years. He also did evil in his short span. He was ruled by his wants rather than ruled by God's laws. And then Josiah comes to the throne at eight years old. He becomes king. And it doesn't look good, does it? <laughs> I mean, if the whole nation has been evil under the, the leadership, and now there's an insurrection going on, they're killing people, it doesn't look good for Josiah. But when Josiah is 16 years old, we're told he began seeking righteousness. This is from 2 Chronicles 34. It says, He began to seek the God of his father David. And when he was 20, he started a, a revitalization of worship in the land. He got rid of idols and things like that. 
And then when he turned 26, he looked at the temple of God where the people gathered to worship and he says, we need to do something about the temple. It's falling apart. And so he began a project to... to um, <clears throat> I don't want to say remodel because that implies they're changing it around to repair the temple. And I want you, you're not going to believe this, what happens. They, they, they start to repair the temple and the priests are cleaning things out. Literally, they're getting rid of stuff that shouldn't be there and they're uh, finding stuff that needs to be used for the rituals they had. And the priests find the book of the law. They had lost the book of the law. They had lost part of the Old Testament. We're not sure uh, what parts. We know at least it was the book of Deuteronomy. Because when you, you hear them read about it or talk about it, those laws they found come out of Deuteronomy. They'd lost an entire book, at least, maybe more, of the Old Testament. I kid you not. Now, folks, how do you survive as a priest? A priest had job security. They couldn't be fired, evidently. Because if I came to you one morning and said, I lost all my Bibles... I don't have any more Bibles. I can't find my Bible. You would think, maybe we need to get ourselves a pastor who knows where his Bible is, right? (laughs) They lost the book of the law. In fact, it says here in uh, chapter uh, 22, verse 8, Hilkiah, the high priest, said to Shapan, the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the temple of the Lord. There it was. It had been lost and they found it. There's a sense when you say, well, it wasn't really lost. It was in the temple, but was it any good if it wasn't being read? No. So they took it to the king. And I want to just kind of go through with you here the steps that Josiah takes. Uh, all right. I'll just use this part of the board here. The steps that Josiah takes when they say, hey, king, we found the book of the law. The first thing he does is he reads it. The second thing he does is he mourns. Sorry. And then he repents. Let's put repents. It says that when he read the book of the law and he realized all that they were not doing, all the life-giving, loving rules of God, they were not surrendered to. He tore his clothes. That's a sign of mourning. And he repented. That simply means changed his mind. (laughs) I'm not going to keep living by my once, I'm going to start living by God's rules. And then, it's fascinating. He sent the priests. These are the priests who should know. He sent them to a prophetess uh, named uh, Huldah. And I'm writing the word meaning here. He wanted to know... Well, I'm going to write a different word. He wanted to know God's will. <laughs> They read the book of the law and he wanted to make sure they were getting it right. He studied it. He wanted to know what God wanted now. So he sought God's will. And then you think he'd be done. Then, I don't know if you can see this low, sorry. He read it. He read it again, but this time he read it with others. I'm probably writing more than I normally write because I love this pen. I love this new board, see. And then five, well, five I'll read to you here. Five tells us the result. Actually, five is different. Five, he began to put into practice all these things they've read. So, 
if you read it, you'll see he went through Jerusalem. He went through the temple. They got rid of all the altars of other gods. They get rid of all the other temples of other gods. There were bad things, really bad things that were happening in the temple or around the temple. He stopped all those things. So he began to put things into practice. And this is what the final summation of Josiah's character is, his righteousness, according to the book of 2 Kings. It says this, Neither before nor after Josiah, this is from chapter 23, verse, 24, verse 25, Neither before nor after Josiah was there a king like him who turned to the Lord as he did with all his heart, with all his soul, and with all his strength in accordance with all the law of Moses, in accordance with all the loving, life-giving rules of God. You see that Josiah didn't just read the Word of God and say, cool. He read it. He mourned. He saw how his life wasn't being, living up to it, and he repents. Then he sought, God, what's your will? How do I apply this? Then he read it with others. He read it to, to his friends. He read it to, to the people of Israel. And they looked at it as well. And then they began to put it into practice. They began to realign their lives and, and, and the temple and their practices according to God's will and not their will. According to God's life-giving, loving rules and not their rules. And that's what it means to be trained in righteousness. It's not just, hey, I went to Bible study this morning. I learned some cool things about God. You know, He's Trinity. He's three, uh, three persons, but one nature. Isn't that cool? So? Do you realize that the, in the Trinity that God, the Father, is the source of everything and He's given us Jesus who stands next to us and the Holy Spirit whom He's put into us? And it's Jesus who comforts us and teaches us, so we need to listen to what He says. And it's the Holy Spirit who's living in us that empowers us to live out all that He says. Oh, <laughs> the Trinity isn't just a doctrine to know. It helps me understand how I am to live this life. So as, as we close this morning, I want to ask you uh, a question. And it should be at the bottom of your notes. It's simply this. What's your plan to seek the kingdom of God and righteousness? It's not enough to just have decided God is good and God is righteous. His ways are good. His rules are life-giving. You can believe that, but not live it out. You can believe that the medication you're taking is going to get rid of your infection. But unless you're opening the jar up or the bottle up and taking medication as prescribed, it won't do any good. What is your plan to seek the kingdom of God and righteousness? This could be life-changing for some of us this morning. Because it's very easy in Christianity to just kind of get into a rut, into a cruise, into a place where we think we have enough righteousness, we really don't need anymore, and we stop seeking the work God wants to do in our hearts to make us righteous like Him. What's your plan? And I'm going to ask a second follow-up question, which is, is this. Because righteousness is something that must be continually sought by the training disciplines, by training ourselves. So the second question is simply this. How's your relationship with God's Word? You saw in the story, you can have God's Word. You can have a Bible upstairs and downstairs. You can have a Bible in your glove box, right? You have a work Bible, a car Bible. You can have a bathroom Bible. We have all these Bibles. But having a Bible is just the start. You can have a Bible, but it can be buried in the temple and nobody's following it. So when I ask the question, how is your relationship with God's Word, 
Is it lost or are you hearing it? Are you reading it? And are you studying it with others? Do you see that in the, in the bottom of, of your notes there? These are three ways that Christians put into practice the righteousness of God in our lives. We saw a little bit how Josiah did it. and He did a lot. How do we do it today? You find these in the Bible. These aren't things I made up. One, we hear the Word of God. We're doing that now. So are you hearing the Word of God regularly? Uh, This is from uh, Romans chapter 10. We hear the Word of God. The second question here, and now it gets a little more difficult. Are you reading it? Are you reading the Word of God and meditating on it? We find this all over the book of Psalms. Are you reading it so that you can say, okay, Lord, what is it you're trying to do in my life? What do you want me? How do I realign my life? The Word of God, when you read it, it will show you where you're under your own rule, being ruled by your wants, and it will show you how to be ruled by God's life-giving laws. And the third one is this. Who are you studying it with? How did I put it here? Are you studying with others? These are the ways, and I don't know any other way, to practice the righteousness of God. We need to be hearing His Word. We need to be reading His Word personally. And we need to be studying God's Word with others. You need to be in a small group. You know what they're doing in that small group? They're asking you the question, are you hearing God's Word regularly? Are you reading it? Are you living it out? That's what we do with our our men's Bible study. Are you living out the Word of God? And all men are welcome, by the way, Wednesday night at 7, except this Wednesday night we will be, our men's Bible study is going to help serve with the um, Halloween outreach. But we've been praying. Lord, give us opportunity and give us the words to say uh, with some people we've written down uh, to certain people. And I had shared how I got the opportunity to meet with a gentleman I wrote down on my list. And God gave me the words to say. It was kind of amazing. I, I just God was helping me because he's a, a self-professed atheist. He's a poor example for an atheist because uh, he was listening to me, number one, right? <laughs> any, any atheist you're having a conversation with, and they know you're a Christian, they're not a very good atheist, so keep talking to them. <laughs> God's answering that. But I realize we've got to be looking for those opportunities and taking them. That's putting into practice. I need brothers and sisters who are praying for me. Folks, you cannot practice the righteousness of God. We cannot be righteous. We cannot continually seek the righteousness of God without hearing His Word, without reading His Word, and without studying it with others. And this is not just me saying this. You can find this in the Bible. Look at Acts 17 and the, and the story about the Bereans. This is something that John Wesley said. We need fellowship. And when he said fellowship, he wasn't talking potlucks. He was talking about men and women of God reading the Word of God together and helping them to live it out. So as we come to a close of this message, I'm willing to ask you to stand and we're going to, we're going to pray. This is kind of our, our prayer time this morning. I want to lead us through a time where we, and, and, and Erwin, I know that you guys are going to be uh, singing. You can go ahead and, and move that now if you need to. I'm, I'm done. Lead us through a time of prayer where we go before God. And I don't want anybody tearing their clothes, but you may do, want to do that um, in your mind or say, Lord, it, it, it was a way to show, you know how when you hear God's word and you're convicted and you feel awful, right? It was a way to show that on the outside. That's why the king tore his clothes. Sometimes we feel awful and it's good to do because it just says, God, I'm repenting. 
And along with that, you have to receive the mercy and forgiveness of God too. So would you bow your heads with me? And would you just listen to this prayer and pray it along with me in your hearts? As we come to God this morning, hearing Jesus' command to seek His kingdom and righteousness and acknowledging we've not been doing it well. Gracious, almighty God in heaven, please hear our prayer. We acknowledge this morning that Your rules are good. They are loving and life-giving. And we need, Lord, Your rules because we so easily fall into the trap of being ruled by our own wills. We need You to rule over us. We need Your rules to rule our will. And we ask simply, don't let our wants rule us. We confess to You this morning our lack of seeking Your kingdom and righteousness. We all believe it's a good thing to seek Your kingdom and righteousness. We believe Jesus was correct when He commanded us to seek Your kingdom and Your righteousness and to become godly. But we confess, God, we haven't practiced that well. We haven't put into practice training in righteousness. We confess to You we have not been training. That in a sense, we have lost Your Word. It's not like we didn't know where it was. We just haven't been listening carefully. We haven't been reading it, Lord. And we haven't been studying it together with others. As Your disciples have done since the beginning of of Christianity, since Jesus first rose from the dead. So we ask You this. Bring us conviction and bring us courage and help us to have the discipline to practice hearing Your Word, to practice reading Your Word, and to practice studying Your Word with others who will encourage us to keep seeking Your kingdom and Your righteousness. And these things we pray in the name above all names. Let's say that name together. In Jesus' name, Amen.